And welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Benjamin Red, and we've got a special episode coming back from a few weeks away for you guys this week. Uh, it is me, Nizar, and Taymor, the three of us, all three of us on the same podcast. Uh, how How's it going, guys? Hey, Ben. I'm doing well, actually. Um, yeah, it's the hottest time of the year in Lebanon, just to keep that in perspective <laughs> always, and without a lot of electricity, but otherwise, it's it's going well. Yeah, I'm. I'm also doing all right. I'm actually uh, in in Germany right now, uh, getting uh, getting vaccinated tomorrow. I had uh, an appointment in Lebanon that was cancelled due to internet and power cuts, and and so decided that you know screw it, I'll just do it here. Um, so uh, yeah, we're doing this over the internet. Great to be back with you guys after a few weeks away. Yeah, and and we do have a whole lot to cover. Obviously, we're not going to cover everything that went on while we were gone, because that would end up being something like a 10-hour podcast. Uh, so, but, but we're going to focus on um, a, a few things that happened this week, uh, because essentially uh, this week seemed sort of like a culmination of all of this stuff that's been going on over the past few weeks. We finally got an answer to the government formation question uh, with Saad Hariri. Uh, he resigned. Um, and so we're going to be talking quite a bit about that, uh, about everything that went into that and, uh, you know, what are the next steps at this point. But a few other things happened this week as well uh, that, that I think we should go through. Um, and, and, and really, everything here is connected. So uh, trying to divide this up into different aspects of the, uh, of the insanity of the, of the crazy crises facing the country is, is hard to do. But um, I, I think one thing that deserves its own special mention is, is what's going on with the port investigation and the uh, protests about it. Right. So uh, back on July 2nd, the investigative judge in the case, Tarek Bitar, he announced that he's going to ask to seek uh, the lifting of immunity from several top officials, including uh, three sitting MPs, as well as uh, the head of general security, the head of state security. Um, and he's going to uh, essentially this is asking for permission to prosecute uh, some of these officials, uh, if not all of them. And, and initially, you know, everyone thought, oh, well, this is the same kind of thing that uh, Fadi Sawan, the uh, Bitar's predecessor, had asked to do or had tried to do and got swiftly removed uh, from the case uh, for it. Uh, so that it's, it's another uh, gambit to try to sort of, you know, uh, bring back some life to the investigation and show that there is some sort of progress uh, on the one hand. Uh, but, but, but then the, that progress didn't really hasn't really come to fruition yet. And uh, we saw a lot of people quite angry this week that nothing has happened. Yeah, I think it, it was a, it's, it's sort of interesting to look at the difference here between Tariq Bitar and Fadi Sawan. Uh, Sawan tried to kind of go through, uh, you know, tried to kind of move around the immunity issue. Uh, you know, in Lebanon, we basically uh, have immunity for many top officials. If you want to prosecute the head of a security agency, agency, you have to get the permission of like the prime minister or the president. If you want to go after an MP, you have to get the permission of parliament. If you want to go after a lawyer, you have to get the bar association's permission. So there's all kinds of hoops to jump through. Uh, Tare Bitar is taking kind of a, a more, uh, you know, like a front door approach to this. He's trying 
trying to basically go to each one of those, uh, you know, uh, what, what you would call like a reference, a madja, of, you know, for, for these various officials and trying to get their various immunities lifted. Um, and, and so the, the first person we heard from was the interior minister, Mohammed Fahmi, uh, who has to give uh, permission uh, to prosecute Abbas Ibrahim, the director of general security. And also really, I mean, probably like Lebanon's like top gun in a way, like the guy who's chalked up to be an expert mediator, kind of beyond reproach, untouchable. And after he initially promised to do so, he last week said that he wouldn't. He wouldn't provide uh, permission uh, for Tariq Bitar to pursue Abbas Ibrahim. And so this basically led to almost immediate protests at uh, outside um, Hamad Fahmi's house. You had the families of victims and also a, a bunch of protesters. I believe it was, you know, several dozen people, maybe at its peak, a couple hundred, um, outside his house in narrow streets trying to break into his house. Um, and you saw some pretty, pretty ugly things happen, that, you know, families of victims beaten um, t and then tear gassed in the end and, and pushed away. Um, and this was kind of the second uh, such uh, event uh, in... in, in just a few days before that, protests had also taken place outside the residence, the Beirut residence of Parliament Speaker Nabih Birri, because uh, Birri is basically heading a a, a joint committee, um, a, a, yeah, sort of a joint committee of of uh, you know two parliamentary uh, bodies that are looking into raising the immunity on on three former uh, ministers who are now MPs. Uh, two of those are in Birri's block, Ghazi Zaitar and uh, Ali Hassan Khalil, and there's also Nuhad Mashnoo, the former interior minister. And they've basically been accused of of sort of uh, trying to stall on this issue. Um, it's uh, it's sort of uh, being seen as as uh, you know as an attempt by Parliament to prevent the lifting of immunities uh, by you know saying all sorts of things like yeah we'll do it but within the law and within the constitution um, and and you know in, in Lebanon those those things are sort of weaponized uh, usually uh, to to protect those in power. Um, and so basically, it seems like we're heading for a lot of es escalation as we approach the one year anniversary, you know, with one former investigator removed, another investigator sort of trying to get through these immunities, but but so far looking looking rather unsuccessful. Um, and, and we're just a couple of weeks away from the one year anniversary. Yeah, absolutely. The, this is definitely something that is going to continue to escalate. I mean, I mean, the, this protest on Tuesday, for, uh, you know, from the victims' families and and others uh, outside Fahmi's house. You know, they they had brought these mock coffins and everything. It, like the rage. You know, almost a year later, nothing has happened in this case. No one's been held accountable. We don't even really know. You know, there is any sort of results uh, from the investigation. Uh, there, there is a certain rage that is. It is building at least amongst those most affected by the explosion. Definitely, uh, and, and, yeah, and and yeah. they're basically saying like we, you know, don't make us criminals, and they've said this repeatedly. Like you know, we've tried to be nice, we've tried to come and you know meet with you and ask nicely, but we are no longer going to do that. Um, and and they even said you know outside Nabih Birri's house that that Nabih Birri, you are now a target for us. Um, uh, you know, uh, they they were even insinuating that he had blood on his hands, and and similarly so with with the, the interior minister Mohammed Fahmi. They're basically saying that anybody anybody who protects uh, you know any official uh, that is being sought over this explosion is their enemy, um, and and the enemy of of the Lebanese people in a way because they are they are holding uh, they are they are pushing back against what is a a you know a a sort of unprecedented. Uh, 
push for accountability over an unprecedented event. And there's this sense that, you know, if now there is no way to get officials to sit in front of a judge, then it's never going to happen because the scale of this event is just, you know, so massive. Yeah, and and Fahmi d did not seem to be uh, really too phased by, no. you know, what happened. He doubled down and said, no, I'm not going to, you know, re regardless of, of the these protests, regardless of the anger, uh, uh, he's not going to back down on his decision to protect, uh, to shield Abbas Ibrahim from prosecution, uh, which only raises the stakes of course uh you know the i i think it's interesting we saw the isf you know they uh, not only beat some of the protesters there they also tear gassed them uh one, one of our correspondents at Lorient today was there at the scene and saw the gas canisters that were used they appeared to be french uh <laughs> which of course raises many questions because france is uh, saying something very, very different these days and talking about holding, uh, you know, uh, potentially sanctioning uh, many top Lebanese officials. Uh, and, and they just announced this week, you know, this this idea of a, an EU sanctions regime that would uh, that would target the top uh, Lebanese officials for doing a number of things, obstructing government formation, obstructing the political process or political transition, uh, obstructing reforms uh, that are desperately needed, uh, and, and also, interestingly, uh, financial mishandling. Yeah, so, so this is something that, you know, we've been hearing about for at least a few months, the idea that, you know, Okay, so if if you guys don't you know yalla like hurry up and and form a government and and stop you know uh, <clears throat> stop this kind of time wasting that you're doing, then there will be sanctions. And it seemed honestly like an empty kind of uh, you know an empty threat for quite a long time. There was all this talk of carrots and sticks even a year ago after the blast. Um, it's it's sort of known that the French were not very keen on on imposing you know sanctions very quickly, and and still to some extent they they see it as tied to government formation, which which to me at least seems a bit weird. I mean, you know, sanctioning someone for corruption or, or human rights abuses is one thing, but sort of sanctioning for, for not forming a government seems a bit high commissionary. Uh, you know, it, it seems a little <laughs> bit, uh, but, but basically it's just a sign of like massive frustration. You know, if you remember after the blast, uh, Emmanuel Macron came here a few days later. Uh, he then, you know, came back on the 1st of September. It was a centennial of, of Lebanon, you know, greater Lebanon, uh, so much symbolism. Uh, and, you know, Macron like basically tried to uh, herd cats. He tried to, you know, bring together Lebanese politicians. And if we're being sort of charitable to, you know, to, to what's become known as the French initi initiative, it was basically a recognition that, you know, Lebanese politicians should take ownership of the crisis because the Hassan Diab experience, where you sort of, you know, put a guy who's sort of like backed by you, but not really, that failed. And it became clear that, you know, that, the, you know, that, that basically Lebanese politicians need to come together and, and decide on, on things and push them through. That was kind of the French initiative. It's kind of become clear that that, that initiative has sort of failed. I mean, it's in a way, it's become an empty slogan, uh, just like, you know, fighting corruption or reforms or, or the rights of this or that sect that politicians kind of use as a, you know, as an umbrella term for, for whatever they want to do. And so, yeah, as uh, we know, this, this month, we actually heard that uh, the EU has agreed uh, to uh, put you know, to put in place a sanctions regime for Lebanese officials. Uh, the background to that that I had heard was basically that the Hungarians were against this. And, and if you want to take joint EU action, you need all member states to at least not oppose it. 
Um, and so the Hungarians had met with Gibran Basile in Lebanon. Uh, there was this whole thing of, you know, we don't want a Lebanese minority to be targeted because apparently the French are quite keen on sanctioning Basile. Um, and, and it seems that the Hungarians have now gotten assurances that, you know, it's not just going to target the Christian minority, it's going to be a bit more broad, and they seem to have come on side. And so now there's talk of actually having a regime in place by the end of the month, which is basically like the broad legal uh, framework and, and sort of like justification. Um, and then once you have that regime ready, then you can go about sort of putting in the names, you know, and, and that depends on the evidence you have. And, and you know, I was sort of, uh, you know, told by diplomatic sources that embassies in Lebanon are gathering information now. They're basically trying to create files uh, on Lebanese politicians who are accused of these things, you know, financial mishandling, uh, misappropriation of state funds, and also human rights abuses. Um, and that could include things like the Beirut blast, um, you know, people found to be directly responsible for, for causing that. Um, and it's worth noting there that German and French citizens uh, died in that explosion. And so Europe has a bit more of a of sort of a, a mandate there to, to sort of, uh, you know, at least uh, it, it has it has a bit of skin in the game. All right. And, and these sanctions would essentially uh, probably be asset freezes, travel bans. Mm -hmm. um, but we don't know how exactly they would be applied or how broadly, how selectively, et cetera. Like you say, Taymor, like... It, it depends on the, whatever evidence uh, they they uncover as well, um, but also we we don't know how much uh, how much transparency we're going to get in their reasoning and stuff. You know, the in the American sanctions regime, you know, they oftentimes don't really show their work. It's unclear how much uh, you know your uh, the EU will be showing its work as well uh, in terms of uh, adding new names to this the sanction list. Are they going to you know provide the evidence, the supporting evidence, all of that stuff, or or is that going to be done through more of an official channel type thing? I mm. I don't know. I, I got I get the sense that the EU sanctions are a bit more transparent than the Americans. In the past, EU sanctions have been challenged and overturned. Um, and I so I think that they're generally quite keen on on having evidence that at least, if not released officially, uh, could stand up sort of in uh, to a challenge. Um, I'm not sure about the American sanctions. The American sanctions definitely have a reputation of being a little bit more politically. Uh, kind of uh, motivated, but but yeah, no, it's 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 a great point. We actually don't know uh, how it would be applied, and and many people are critical of this. They, you know, some people would argue that any sanctions on on Lebanese officials uh, end up sort of harming the Lebanese state by extension because you're kind of pushing it into a corner. Uh, no one wants to deal with a state where you have top officials sanctioned. Um, so yeah. so yeah, it's a it's it's a difficult issue. Um, but but the international community are kind of sitting there going, well, you know, at least. Some players in the, in the international community are, are sitting there going like, well, we've tried other things and nothing seems to work. And and so, you know, it's, it's worth remembering that a lot of these Lebanese Zaims and top officials love spending their summers in London and Paris. Their kids live there. They have bank accounts there. Um, and Properties. And, you know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And there's a sense that, well, if Lebanon is, is being destroyed to this extent, that that should not stand. I mean, these people should sort of become pariahs. It's also going to be interesting to see whether the sanctions have this uh, clear political dimensions that the that the American sanctions had in terms of uh, not targeting U.S. allies or Western allies in Lebanon, because this uh, this also um, will have a big impact on what will be the repercussions of those sanctions politically and um, how much they will be taken seriously. Uh, by people in Lebanon, or how much positive they would be viewed by people in Lebanon as well, because 
Um, if this will look like just an excuse to punish political opponents, uh, then it will it will not look great. Especially that everyone knows when it comes to corruption, when it comes to um, to Lebanese crony, you know, politics. It's not about which regional powers or international powers you're allied with. It's uh, it's about how much interests I have in the in the state and in the and the private sector in Lebanon and how you can connect these things to each other. So mm. all all like or at least you know um, virtually all political forces in Lebanon uh, who are part of the establishment are guilty of those things. You're punishing one or two or three. Um, you're gonna have to justify why it's those people specifically, which is which takes me to um, to being a bit worried about uh, the criteria that you were talking about, Timur, being mm-hmm. you know obstructing government formation or other um, quite vague or ambiguous political criteria for sanctions. Uh, in my opinion, uh, because you can always everyone can always blame the other side for the obstruction. We know clearly that. People that, for example, Hariri and Michel Aoun, um, Michel Aoun behind, behind him, Gibran Basile, have their conditions. And this is why uh, the government formation is not happening. But for a foreign power to say, no, this is the person or this is the side that's responsible for government obstruction, government formation obstruction, that's very controversial politically. And I don't know if we've seen anything similar to it historically, to be honest. Yeah, it's. It, I agree. It really is a weird one. And then what if they form a government? You just lift the sanctions. You know, it's. It seems like such a weak approach to just base it on government formation. But you know, we'll have to wait and see. And and as it as it appears now, we're we're not getting government formation anytime soon. Uh, I mean, that you know that sort of takes us to this Hadiri resignation uh, fiasco that that we kind of saw last week, which is not really a fiasco because it's 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 the kind of thing that like. You, we we kind of saw coming, uh, but but didn't think he would do. Uh, but then when he did it, it's kind of like, oh well, okay, well now that's done. Uh, I mean, there was no boom there, you know. It was kind of just it it kind of fell flat. Um, and I, I I think yeah, let's let's get into that a little bit now. In sort of what happened last week, uh, Ben. Maybe I think you know this better than me. Well, well, I, I think well, I think yeah. we have to start, yeah. but before this yeah. past yeah. week, right? So so Haru had yeah. been telegraphing for a while that mm. oh i'm thinking about resigning guys um you know he he was uh, appointed prime minister designate back in october so now we you know at at this point now we've been over 8 months since he was uh designated uh to form a government nothing's happened this has been Hariri's longest uh government formation process just him personally uh, although certainly not the longest personal in best huh? personal best Personal best, although this one ended in failure, so uh, I, I don't know if you can call it that. Uh, but but you know, pr- prior to this past week, uh, Hariri's surrogates were out there talking about the possibility of him resigning. Everybody, people took it, uh, you know, with varying degrees of, or or varying sizes of, of grains of salt, I guess. Uh, you know. Uh, it, it it didn't really seem, at least at first, like it was a credible threat. And then uh, he he kept warning through his surrogates, uh, no, 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 really, I'm serious. Uh, I'm thinking about resigning. Um, and then uh, finally, a- everything came to a head this week. You know, we've been having this absolute political theater for the past several months. Um, and the theater finally came crashing down. <laughs> 
<laughs> and and caught on fire, burned to the ground this week uh, because Hariri went uh, up to Babda to present uh, another list to Michelle Aoun. Of course, these are the two men who must decide on any new cabinet. They are the two names, uh, the two signatures that uh, go on the decree. So it's these two guys who have to decide what, uh, you know, have to agree on the, uh, you know, the composition, uh, who's in the next cabinet, what portfolios they get, the size, all of that stuff. Uh, Hariri went up, gave a list of 24 names uh, to Aon on Wednesday, and he gave Aon as well kind of a deadline, said, okay, you, you know, tell me tomorrow whether this is a yes or no, whether this is a go or not. Um, of course, the prime minister or the prime minister designate giving uh, a deadline to the, uh, you know, Christian president of mm-hmm. the of the country uh, is a little bit sensitive, uh, sectarian-wise and power-sharing-wise, at, at least uh, perceptionally. So uh, I, I, I don't see how Aoun could possibly have followed the, uh, you know, the first yeah, president, ultimatum. the Maronite president, could have followed an ultimatum from the would-be third president, uh, you know, in yep. Lebanon's three presidential system. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but regardless, Hariri stuck to it, and uh, he went back the next day on Thursday and uh, had another meeting with Aoun, and apparently, you know, it was, a, it was an up or down moment, and things went down and Hariri walked out of that meeting, came out, he spoke to the press and said, uh, I resign, which, uh, really shocked me. I, I didn't, I didn't think that he would pull the trigger, uh, mm. uh this quickly. He isn't exactly known for being, uh, brash <laughs> or, or taking big, bold steps. Uh, but he did, uh, in this case. And, uh, and, and then immediately, uh, we, we, we saw the fallout, you know, a lot of, a lot of areas, um, especially with a lot of, um, stop ball movement, uh, Hariri supporters, we had blocked roads and us, us, Kola, uh, UNESCO, uh, Mazra, um, mm. uh, it, uh, immediately, uh, a lot of the partisans took to the streets, although it wasn't, you know, uh, protests in big numbers, but, uh, rather road blockings for the most part. And, uh, and, and then later that evening, uh, Hariri gave an interview on Al-Jadid, uh, (laughs) uh, to, to to sort of explain his positioning, uh, on on everything. And, and this was one of those, you know, long interviews, right? It was, it was, it was, uh, something like three hours or something. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, to start with, it was an it was an attempt to form his his fourth government, um, and we kind of knew from the beginning that he was putting on this image of you know Mr. Tough Guy, no more Mr. Nice Hadidi. You know he was a politician who was new, known for uh, kind of a lighthearted uh, uh, demeanor. He would you know hang around after press conferences. He would take quite a lot of questions. He would talk to members of the press. Uh, he kind of, you know, had a, like a, a light attitude. Um, and what we saw when he came around this time was, you know, stern-faced, terse comments after his meetings, very little media, uh, trying to show that he basically had this hard outer shell. But I think what became very clear during this interview is is it's very unclear what is within that shell. I mean, we got 
very little in terms of a vision for the future in terms of you know now i've you know i tried this for nine months it hasn't worked you know th there was no clean break uh in 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 fact uh, in this interview he basically was given an opportunity at one point to sort of uh uh like b basically expose the president in some way it was a very like subtle moment where the the interviewer basically asked him like you know like but you got some information that that would have been very serious and he's like yeah but i don't want to go into it because in in the coming period uh me and the president are going to have to speak which is basically him signaling that he's not done he's still playing the game um you know he said that he wouldn't name uh, someone to to follow him as he had in the past with you know Mustafa Adib for example uh, but he said he could support uh, another government and and basically signaled like okay this this battle is over but the war is not uh, and i'm and i'm staying very much here uh, but what was clear is that there was there was no real vision um you know there was no uh, it 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 was honestly thoroughly unimaginative um and and you know i got the sense after after the interview that uh, it's sort of impossible for for these politicians to break in any way from from this sort of game that they play because that's that's all they know how to do um and so it seemed really outside of you know the realm of the possible for Hariri to sort of suggest a I don't know something that would surprise us and I don't know what that thing would have been maybe a resignation from parliament uh you know kind of uh you know basically saying like all right this hasn't worked let's let's move towards elections so we can at least uh you know have a new parliament that has some form of legitimacy uh, but we didn't even get it get that and it and it doesn't seem like we are going to get that and another thing is sort of with this resignation it seemed to me that in effect, the the French initiative, uh, one could argue, the French initiative is is pretty much dead, uh, because the idea behind that initiative was like let's bring these politicians together so they can decide on uh, you know a government and then push through reforms. I mean, it's just it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen at this point, um, and it seems uh, like the the most likely scenario at this point is that we kind of just trundle along uh, until elections in about what is it like ten months. Um, Hariri plays opposition politics, uh, you know, and, and in a way, everyone can play opposition politics because the president can accuse Hariri of not forming. Uh, you know, Nabih Birri can say, well, look at Aoun and Hariri, they're not doing anything. And Hariri can say, well, listen, I tried so hard and I had principles, but, but Aoun, uh, Aoun was too, uh, you know, basically held on to the blocking third. Um, and so it's that classic Lebanese scenario where where everyone can kind of point the finger at each other. Um, meanwhile, everything falls apart. I mean, the, the Lebanese pound was at twenty three thousand yesterday. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's important to just to go back really quickly yeah. and and talk about a, a sort of <laughs> hope. <laughs> there was there there was never I at, at least in my my perception there was never a whole lot of true hope that. Uh, a, a new cabinet under Hariri would really be able to solve mm. all of the problems and everything. Maybe, maybe at least though that it would have alleviated certain things. That certain things would become easier, at least in the short term. But uh, there was a great deal of cynicism over whether a government led by Hariri could actually, you know, save Lebanon from 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 the mess uh, that that everyone's dealing with right now. However, there there was still like a small flame of hope, right? <laughs> that okay, at least there's something like we need something. <laughs> the the country needs something right now. Uh, maybe Hariri will be able to deliver on this. And that tiny little flame of hope on Thursday was totally extinguished. 
and, and, and now it just seems as though everything is in free fall. Like you mentioned, the Lira uh, made this massive drop, although it's uh, over the weekend sort of stabilized a little bit, it seems, according to the apps. Um, we'll find out uh, on Monday once uh, the exchangers open up again. Also, the, the fuel situation, the electricity situation in the country is is still horrid. It, it's eased slightly, at least in terms of fuel. People are uh, waiting less. Uh, the, the lines are shorter at gas stations these days. Um, but but everyone knows this is probably just a temporary, you know, reprieve and probably will be back to, you know, waiting for hours uh, in line to get gas if there is gas uh, in the future. Um, also, we've got, you know, coronavirus is starting to rear its head again. Uh, we, we've got the Delta vi- uh, variant uh, here in the country spreading, and we're back to something like 500 cases, new cases per day. Uh, luckily, hospitalizations and deaths are still relatively low, but if you've got a wave of new infections, that means that we will see most likely uh, higher hospitalizations and unfortunately, perhaps more deaths in the future. So we've got we've got a lot of of, of legitimate crises uh, going on in the country right now, and, and and they're also having problems paying for medicine. Uh, the health ministry just announced a price uh, rises, extreme price rises for uh, quite a few medications uh, uh, just this week. So all of this, all, you know, the political theater coming to a crashing end uh, uh, this week, it, it, it comes when, you know, it, it couldn't be a worse time for the country, really. Yeah, it's I mean, it's very clear at this point that like we can't talk about collapsing anymore. This is the collapse, right? Like this is just the, you know, the, you know, just the perpetual kind of getting worse every day, uh, but it already being real bad. And and like, I I mean, yeah, it's you know, you have to sort of ask yourself, and this is a question that many people were asking themselves when when Hadidi decided to take the job, uh, you know, whether he actually wanted to form a government in the first place. Um, You know, I think that that is a question that, that we should ask. And and, you know, there was a lot to be gained by by coming forward and, you know, saying that you have these, uh, you know, red lines in terms of technocrats, in terms of, uh, you know, the size of the cabinet, in terms of the 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 blocking third and, and you know, kind of, you know, make a stand um, as as would be seen, uh, you know, in traditional Lebanese political analysis, like basically, you know, regain the rights of the Sunnis, uh, you know, or the or show a sort of, you know, be, be a strong Sunni leader um, ahead of elections. I mean, there's there's a lot to be gained from, you know, from that for Hadiri. And I think that I don't know if you guys agree on this, but I think that Hadiri's image uh, is better than it was, you know, at least after uh, October, you know, the October 17th protests. And, uh, you know, let's say in the months afterwards, um, you know, he he has at least uh, for for some people, you know, sort of made a stand against Michel Aoun um, and he did budge on certain things. You know, he started basically saying that he wouldn't budge on an 18-member cabinet. So obviously, his last proposal was a 24-member cabinet. <laughs> but uh, so I think there's an argument to be made there that you know, even if he didn't form a cabinet, uh, it it was a situation in which at least his his name was back in circulation. He made a stand, um, and now he can you know sort of uh, point the finger at Aoun. Um and and many people would would see it as rightly so because the the issue of the blocking third uh, really seems to have been one of the main issues there yeah this i think this is very tricky to uh because uh, i mean on one hand i um, i do agree that not only hariri might benefit from uh, the way this scenario has played out but also i think he represents 
like from a class perspective, Hariri represents people who are not really uh, outraged by how the situation is going right now, which is bank owners. Mm. Uh, we're talking about a, a period of time when instead of having a financial recovery plan or any sorts of comeback from the economic crisis, we're having the, ex- the exact opposite. And instead of having policies, we're having um, the lack of policy, which in reality, what it's doing, it's uh, cutting, basically doing a huge, huge haircut, constantly increasing haircut on everyone. But most affected are people with small deposits and people who have been uh, who are the most fragile in the whole economic equation and if you remember if we go back to to the time of uh, like a year ago or less than a year ago there was um, there was still the the battle over which policies and the banks and the representatives in parliament were kind of foiling the government's plan and all of that was happening and some imf negotiations etc now that's kind of that's all not even in public discourse anymore in, in a way like it's not talked about so much anymore and and that's the the most devastating part you know like um the the amount of losses that lebanon has suffered and the people like especially middle class and lower class people in lebanon have suffered in the last year since hassan diab's government proposed that plan which wasn't perfect but was 100 per times or 1000 times better than what's happening mm. in reality today the amount of losses, these are real losses. These are two, three, four times as much pain, you know, that we all have to go through because there was a decision that, you know, it's better to leave things this way and relieve uh, the, the, the banks and the central bank of, uh, from some of the burden that they should have been uh, uh, taking from this crisis. So, and Hariri represents this class. At the same time, you look at Hariri and you see him, you know, very exhausted and he seems to be eager to be forming government. It's never mm. it's never a good idea to try to, to analyze intentions in politics, mm. in my opinion, especially when you're talking about uh, figures um, of this magnitude in terms of uh, class representation. But at the same time, you look at him and you feel, oh, maybe he is trying, maybe he is genuine in his... Uh, and his intentions and i just say you know maybe this is for maybe he looks tired because of some personal reasons you know maybe he has insomnia we have to, we can't you know we can't <laughs> right I'm, I'm not making just making joke i'm saying like we can't take things uh, like they look at the surface sometimes um someone looks very eager to do something but he knows that even if this fails actually plan b uh, which is just hanging around and claiming some political credit for trying is sometimes a good strategy. Um, Because from my perspective, I don't think Hariri ever believed that it's going to be an easy process. No one is is backing Hariri from outside. I don't think any regional power is invested in him. 1% at this point, uh, not the French, not the Saudis. No one believes in Hariri. So who is trying to support, who is basically the backbone that Hariri is relying on in his negotiation with someone as strong as Hezbollah? Represented mm-hmm. by Michel and Jabran Basile, but you know, Hezbollah is the one that decides in the end on behalf mm-hmm. of Jabran Basile. And Basile actually said that in his press conference. He said, Nasrallah, you know, you are the referee. I'll accept what you will accept in the government. And Hezbollah mm-hmm. didn't accept because Hezbollah is not forced to accept because there's absolutely no balance of, of political power at this point. There's just a bunch of politicians who are, uh, uh, you know, putting conditions against each other and making some subtle, <laughs> subtle statements against each other. But there's no uh, serious political equation in which something has to happen. No one has interest in that.
Yeah, it seems sort of like a short-term type approach in a lot of the decision-making. Just one quick point, uh, since you mentioned uh, what Hariri has done and what the political class has done, essentially, when we're recording this, we are at the two-year mark of the financial crisis. Uh, it was you know July uh, 2019 when the lira first started to go over 1520, something like that, to the dollar. And uh, and in that time, have the losses been allocated or anything like that in any sort of uh, fair or sy- uh, systematic way? No, as you say, uh, it it all of the decisions have been put off, which means that you know the public bears the brunt, and and anyone who has a bank account gets this huge haircut. Uh, they are the ones who are in effect uh, absorbing the losses from this. Um, as far as Hariri goes, I think uh, it. it it, it's important to note that, uh, yeah, he kind of, in, in a certain analysis uh, that, that, that I've heard from certain circles, you know, like he kind of had to take this stand against Gibran Basile, which, you know, d- does work in his favor as far as just his uh, popularity is concerned, because a lot of people see, they, they look at Hariri, they look at the deal that was made uh, for him to come to power uh, for his second government in 2016, uh, with Michelle Aoun becoming president, and then him becoming prime minister, and then uh, uh, the next cabinet, again, a deal between uh, Aoun and Basile on one hand, and Hariri on the other hand, after the 2018 elections. And a lot of people uh, have the perception that essentially Basile got one over on Hariri both times mm. and essentially has been using Hariri as uh, as a useful idiot in a certain sense. And, and, and if this is the perception, then Hariri needs to stand up and say, hey, no, you're not going to do that to me a third time, especially not with the stakes this high. And so I, I think the part of the reason that his standing increases because of this is because he is seen to be standing up to Gibran Basile. Right. And and I think, I mean, another point on this, and, and Nizar, it, it goes to your point of sort of the interests that, that Hadidi represents. Uh, you know, from what we know of this cabinet, it, it, it almost goes without saying, I mean, this was not going to be a break from the past. When you talk about allocating the losses in a just way, when you talk about, you know, the kinds of reforms that that really matter in this system, like deep kind of uh, reforms that, that fight structural corruption and really amend the, the, you know, the systemic reasons why we have this uh, sort of, uh, you know, constant, uh, you know, blockage in, in, in Lebanese public life. Uh, Hariri doesn't seem like the person who's going to do that. And if you look at his cabinet, you know, the, the latest pr- proposal that we had, which appears to be uh, the one that was, you know, that he took up to the presidential palace uh, with, uh, you know, with him on, on the day that he resigned. You know, you, the, the person who was supposed to head the finance ministry was the person who was the architect of the financial engineering, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in 2016-17. Um, the person who was going to head the public works ministry is the director of policy at the Council for De- uh, Development and Reconstruction, the CDR, which is known by everyone to be a thoroughly corrupt body. I mean, it's just a place where, where tens of millions of dollars of state funds have been lost to corruption. 
And so, you know, when you look at these names and, and you know, there was also someone who was a top aide to Rafi Hariri, his father. This was not a cabinet of, of independent specialists, you know, or experts who were going to come and sort of turn the tables. And, uh, you know, it, 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 in fact, it very much looked like a, a cabinet, uh, you know, the kind of cabinet that we're used to, uh, the kind of people who can who can hold the course, the kind of people who are known to be loyal uh, and known to be sort of, uh, you know, in, in a way, pawns of, of the people in power. Um, and so many people, you know when when Hariri's uh, when Hariri stepped down, uh, basically said, "Great," because the the kind of damage a cabinet like that could have done in terms of the decisions it would have taken, in terms of preserving those interests, uh, could have been catastrophic. In fact, even worse for the people than what we're seeing today. Uh, obviously, it's hard to you know uh, compare uh, uh, different kinds of of horrible, but. Uh, but but that certainly is is one of the opinions that's out there. You know, it's it's actually better <laughs> that Hariri didn't form a cabinet. But but then with that, Taymor, we're left with this question. So what now? You know, there there seems to me to be no clear path forward at this point. It's also very scary that one very possible, very likely scenario is having Hassan Diab's caretaking government kind of uh, extending its or, or going all the way till the elections for many reasons. First one is we have a terrible electoral law, and the next elections won't be. Uh, represented in a better way than the previous ones uh, if we change nothing in the law um, and without new government rest, you know I can say, I can definitely say like there won't be any changes to the electoral law without an active government it would be uh, yep. it would be highly unlikely at least um, but also second is that from now till the elections um, the crisis is getting maybe not exponentially but increasingly worse and the impact much, much worse on people today, by the day. I mean, you know, every single day, the situation is getting much worse than it used to be getting uh, by the day, you know, um, a year ago or whatever, uh, because of how much impact a, a small reduction in subsidies has on how many people. You see, we're, we're at the stage where the crisis is, as you said, uh, Timur, we're in, down in, in the, the, the collapse, and we don't know if there is a bottom, you know, but we're going down uh, quite quickly. So if this is if this trend continues or this situation continues, then we're getting to the election at a point where, first of all, it's very easy to postpone it with any kind of fabricated security event that would, you know, exploit people's uh, suffering and pain and protests or whatever is happening to say, oh, it's not safe. It's not OK to have elections if they need to postpone them, if if the people in power see the need uh, for that or an interest in that. But also um, when people are much poorer, um, then clientelism and pre-election vote buying, basically, uh, this kind of bribery that happens on a huge scale in Lebanon will be also much more powerful than in a scenario where the country seems to be getting back on its feet and um, heading towards financial recovery or economic recovery. So uh, it will be a bleak moment. It won't be a moment where um, you can have, you know, healthy a healthy democratic process and also it will be another year of doing absolutely nothing with everyone who is not supposed to be uh, uh, paying the price of this crisis actually paying the price and, and, and suffering. So, yeah. Absolutely. And and not only that, the names that we've seen, you know, sort of thrown out there and suggested so far for the potential next prime minister, are it's sort of more of the same. Mustafa Adib, uh, Najib Ma'ati, uh, Mohammed Safadi, uh, 
heard that name the other day. It, I mean, none of these are <laughs> back to new. the future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, these are you know old ideas that don't really seem uh, you know to bring a whole lot of of, of hope or, or possibility for any sort of true resolution. I mean, yeah, I agree. And 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 to add to that as well, you know, with with certain of these names, you know, Makati is definitely going along with Hariri on these things. Uh, he's you know not going to be uh, independent of that. And and any of these other names, I I I don't see uh, how this goes forward. And so I I think like you uh, and these are to me it seems like the most likely thing is that we continue bumbling on with uh, Hassan Diab. Maybe there's, maybe they do the binding parliamentary consultations. Maybe they uh, select somebody as a, a premier designate. But then we have another question of, well, how long is that going to take for any government to be formed? Um, and so it is very, very possible that Hassan Diab's cabinet just stays, uh, perhaps is reactivated to some degree. I mean, if they do elections, there, there will have to be, I, I, I believe, some sort of reactivation for that. But yeah, it, it it seems as though Lebanon's literally stuck with, uh, at least for now, the country is definitely stuck, you know, with the the caretaker cabinet it has. And I think if you look at the the possible scenarios, sort of to, to wrap up here, I mean, that my my fear, and I, I think the fear of many is that, uh, you know, now it can be argued that while these people remain firmly in power, there is a serious question about their legitimacy. If we go to elections and and they are able to uh, create a situation where where they uh, you know do do very well in those elections, then I think you you know they perhaps have the have the right to claim legitimacy once again and and then you know deal with the international community again uh, in a sort of normal way. I mean, I wonder you know I wonder where we are in a year um, and and sort of it 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 doesn't seem it doesn't seem like the outcomes generally are positive. Um, it doesn't seem like there's going to be a transition of power. Uh, what many people seem to be, you know, holding out as their hope is a a political process, a process of political change that really takes very long. Uh, you know, Nizar, I know that you've been in, involved in that and in sort of gra- grassroots kind of activism and and grass grassroots organizing, um, and and that kind of thing just just takes time. You know, there is no sort of immediate solutions on the horizon. These are sticky leaders who are who are stuck to their seats. Um, and and they have they you know there's it it kind of goes without saying but they're they're showing no sign of budging um, and it's it's sort of very hard to to sort of get them unstuck um, and that process uh, again I mean it seems it seems like it's it's going to take a long time and it's the kind of time that the country doesn't really have and at the same time though I I think it's very very difficult to look out and and project what's going to happen in a year you know because. Right now, I, I, I think that there's quite a bit of confusion, even amongst the political class, like, oh, mm. shit, what do we do now? Uh, and this is only going to escalate, especially over the next month, as we have more fuel shortages, electricity shortages, and we have, uh, you know, the anniversary of the Beirut port explosion coming up. Uh, things are only going to build at this point. And and a year from now, I, I mean, I, I think it's just very hard to project out to that because, at, at least within you know the the next uh, few months, we the, something has to give somewhere. As Hariri said, Allah yain al balad, which basically yeah. means you know, <laughs> God help the country or or you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know how we how we wrap this up, guys. After that conversation, maybe what's most appropriate is just us all crying. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe that. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah yeah seriously 
I mean, it's it's always important to know that to to, to remember that history is not stopping anytime soon. It's just like really bad right now, but like it's it's uh, it's uh, a war after another that you lose. It doesn't mean that the whole uh, the whole you know existential war or uh, for survival and for prosperity and stuff uh, is is lost. It's just that you know all the circumstances seems to be against any progress right now at this second. We might have a big U.S.-Iran deal that brings a new government that brings in some money without some, without any radical solutions, but, you know, buys us some time. We might see a lot of things that change the equation in a way or another. Um, yeah. It's good to always be thinking of politics as a circumstantial thing and a game of interest. It's not like fate. It's not, you know, we're not doomed. We're not uh, destined to fail or to crash as a country. Right, right. The The issue is there's just added to everything else that everybody has to deal with uh, in the country right now. There's just this added uncertainty, which yeah. is an added burden at, at possibly the worst possible time. Okay. And on that note, I think that's that does it for us for this week. Uh, it, was, it was good talking with you guys, even if the subject matter was super uh, grim. Yeah, yeah agreed. Good to agreed. Be back. Very good to be back. All right, and uh, no promises on when we will be back next, but uh, we're we're back in the saddle now, so hopefully quite soon we'll be back with another podcast. Uh, until then, I'm Benjamin Red. I'm Nizar Hassan. I'm Taymur Azheri. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar Elfil.